0: Hello and welcome to The Fellowship Phase, an Adventures in Middle-Earth podcast. I'm Josh and that's Callum. We're going to give you inside information on how to find your own path through Tolkien's world.
1: Four of us set forth on the road from Eskarov that spring, though we were not known to each other then. But the path forward has a will of its own. I have learned that much since I departed home. Two men I met that morn, of Bjorn's people, and a dwarf also. Theodric of the Deepwood, the older of the Bjornings, was called, and he was a learned man, well-traveled and experienced in the ways of the world, and I was gladdened to meet a kindred spirit who, too, valued the pursuit of knowledge and ancient lore. The younger man was Carhu the Elder, a fierce warrior, yet haunted I thought by some darkness that lay heavily upon him. Runin the Dwarf, I soon found, was known to Hepti, my former master, and like him, was a skilled worker of stone. It was Phaedric who brought the company together on the road from Escaroth. but it was chance that set us on our journey. If chance it was. Hello, Callum. Hello, Josh. I um, need to thank one of our players, uh, James, for that excerpt there. That's from uh, the journey of Torwald, son of Farald, who we'll come on to in a future episode to that in, a man of Dale.
0: It's interesting reading back on Torwald's journal because it tells the story from when we first set off. And I was flicking through it, thinking back to what it was like playing low level, a simple adventure. And it was really interesting seeing James's reflections on, as a character, how it went. Uh, It was quite nostalgic looking back on. And it sets the tone for what we're going to talk about, which is embarking on an adventure.
1: And the adventure is into the wilder lands.
0: Yes, into the wilder lands. Now, embarkation on journeys is obviously a role-playing moment setting off, but in Adventures Middle-Earth, it's also a mechanical part of the rules, which is something that's quite unique to the game. I think that's probably a fair summary.
1: I've seen um, homebrew for D&D of different kind of journey mechanics and there are stuff in the dungeon master's guide for D D about travel and travel yeah. events and stuff and i don't think it's often used as everybody says on reddit you know read the dungeon master's card so uh I- i've read through those uh, they're okay uh, but i think it is different this is a big part of the game the journey and the rules here i think are they're more all-encompassing and the the setup of them is quite It's a bit, maybe a bit difficult to get your head round. I think when I first ran the game, this is the bit I was a bit confused about, but have come quite accustomed with. So we're going to talk through the whole of the journey rules all the way from embarkation, setting your roles in the journey, the journey events, and then finally the arrival rules
0: this feels the bit of the game that's most veiled to me as a player we'll come on to why in a moment but for me this doesn't seem mechanical when we're playing at all it seems that you're leading us on an adventure and all of this is happening you know proverbially behind the screen and it's something that happens so naturally that you're very good at that i don't really think about it at all uh, so it'll be interesting to talk about actually what the process is and mm. how the skills that we have and also the roles that we make affect some of the things that happen on the road it it is quite
1: mechanical um there is a lot of roles that go on behind the scenes i've learned over time that i should just pre-roll everything uh, because it'd be quite stressful when you're trying to prep things last minute and in front of everybody so i I prepare as much as i can and there's a little bit in the lower master's guide which josh won't have seen uh which talks about the roles and doing the tables and it has a little, a nice little segment where it just says, you know, you're in charge. It's good advice, I think. It's just that you're the lore master, and everyone's in it to enjoy it. So don't worry if it's if it's too hard, and then feel free to to bring it back. I have to admit, I've not really done that, um, or don't remember deliberately fudging rules. So sometimes it's been really uh, hairy for the players. <laughs> But yes, and there there's also stuff about, you know, on the journey, there's there's set roles and events happen, um, but it gives some advice about it's your story. So if there's an event you want to put in, put it in, you know, you don't need to follow the rules uh, exactly. But I think they're good because that degree of randomness in the journey. Well, I don't know how you feel about it, Josh, but I I, I find it much easier to prep because sometimes I feel a bit mean. If I'm prepping something and I'm like, and then this terrible thing will happen, and then that terrible thing will happen. Whereas if I roll a dice and the dice is being mean, and I can just I can just say, Well, that you know, the dice were mean today. And I don't feel too bad about it.
0: I suppose this is one of these classic dungeon master or game master conundrums, isn't it? How much should be random? The more random something is, sometimes it feels less meaningful because it's not as narratively connected. However, and I certainly feel like this in, in the game we're playing from d and a game of Curse of Strad, which is very dangerous, and there are a lot of random events. I think if you choose the events yourself as the dungeon master, often you're choosing it based on the player's abilities, and you kind of t- almost tailor the danger to them, which t- slightly spoils The game, I think, Hmm. it it feels that the world should be dangerous, and it's up to the players to encounter that, rather than for you to adjust the difficulty to suit your players. That's maybe a bit of a controversial claim. I'm sure others would disagree. I like knowing that you roll the dice and that there are random events which could be very dangerous, because it tells me as the player the world is dangerous, and we cannot necessarily win and i think once that that assumption is broken that we can't necessarily win it makes the game more exciting because rather than going into every combat thinking well the objective here is to kill everything because that that we can win so that's obviously the only victory state that's available i like that actually callum hasn't prepared this that he knows that we can defeat this band of a hundred orcs so our starting point should not be that that's what we're doing it should be what our characters want us to do
1: well, only 100 goblins, it wasn't that. <laughs> Come on. Uh, so that's, th- there's a really nice summary. So interestingly, I, the, the rules for journeys are in the player's guide, not the, the lore master's guide. Uh, there's some, it expands on it in lore master guides and gives you some tips about running it, but it's very open. It's not, it's not really hidden, the rules. And it, it lays out, there's a very useful summary. First thing you do is assign tasks and plan the route so obviously before you set out any journey whether that's to the shops or to Mount Gundabad you need to decide where you're going to go so maybe we'll go we'll speak through our very first journey because we're linking the podcast sort of to our our story in Middle Earth so where where was the first journey to Josh
0: we set off from Eskaroth Lake Town east of Mirkwood and our overall destination was the Vale of Anduin on the west of the forest where Theodric, who was leading the party, was from. Hmm. We encountered some traders on the road, and they were headed by way of uh, the halls of the elves in Mirkwood across the west as well. So we were traveling east to west across Mirkwood. Hmm. And
1: this is basically a starting adventure in the Wilderland Adventures book first time I ever ran a game and it was it was a pre-prepared one so I think mean, that was a good place to start so you decide your destination and then the next thing you have to do is decide your roles there's four roles guide scout hunter and lookout and on our first journey Theodric was the guide the guide is in charge of all decisions basically including the route and rest and supply uh, and it says that it relies on wisdom and survival scouts are all about setting up camp opening trails and they look at stealth investigation the hunters looking for food uh, and the lookout is a lookout and relies on perception checks so you decide what role you're going to fill and then once you've done that uh, in secret i decide the peril rating of the journey which is is really determined by the sort of terrain that you're going through uh, in the books there's lovely maps lovely lovely maps and the map at the beginning of the book is very nicely drawn. And then at the back, there's another one with got a hexa- hexagonal grid. And it tells you the difficulty of, of terrain. So uh, going through the route on the elf path that they took was severe terrain. And so the difficulty of terrain decides your peril rating. And that has quite a lot of effects throughout the journey. It makes the DC of the events as we go along. So um, the most recent journey we did into Gundabad was quite hard because there was a lot of uh, very difficult terrain. Uh, and then the final thing before you sort of get into the journey, the rules bit is you you work out the guide bonus. We've got this wrong quite a few times. It's quite complicated. It's maybe worth dwelling on this. So we, Josh, how do you want to explain it, or shall I explain it?
0: Let's explain the point of it first as the starting point. The guide is the player character who's leading the party. So in this case, it's Theodric. And then the mechanical part of the journey that we're going to come on to is based on a role that they make. All of that makes sense. The game's built around you have skills, you roll a dice, and you add your skill, and then that number affects something in the world. Great. That bit of d and is easy to understand. The way the rules are phrased made this role quite difficult. Have you got it in front of you? Would you yeah, be able to read, read it out? It out? Yes. In, in
1: reference to the embarkation rule, it's the guide's survival proficiency bonus plus half their wisdom bonus minus the peril rating.
0: There's a lot going on there. I think multiple things that are not helpful are rules in any game that have both a plus and a minus become confusing for players that's why most games only have plus modifications or minus modifications the survival proficiency bonus the game rarely refers to just your proficiency bonus it will refer to your uh, survival skill Uh, so that's an unusual thing and because of that we've got it wrong multiple times is it wrong i don't know i suppose we've played it the same way multiple times but I think what it means, and correct me if I'm wrong, your survival proficiency, so not including your wisdom, just whatever your proficiency bonus is, including anything like expertise or jack of all trades, Mm. and then you add half of your wisdom modifier, and then... The little fiddly bit at the end is what the lore master does, adjusting it to the peril rating. Yes,
1: that's that's my understanding of it too. I, I, I guess the reason that they've done it like that is that if you just said it's your survival bonus and you had a ca- player character that had an amazing wisdom, then you would always get the good events. So they've slightly nerfed that wisdom bonus. So say you've got a plus four or plus five on wisdom and you've got your proficiency bonus on top of that. So when you get into higher levels, you know, maybe up three or four, suddenly you're plus seven. So the minimum you're going to roll is an eight. Um, and, you know, the, the journeys, you know, them being challenging is a big part of the fun. Um, so it does sort of bring that down. I can kind of understand it.
0: I do understand it. And I don't, I can't, I can't fault the game designers because I think the game is wonderful. And what they've done is port their game, which was quite niche, into a system which is much more accessible, but they didn't design that underlying system. And it does mean there are certain parts where it doesn't quite overlap. And I'm very sympathetic to that fact because actually porting it that way has made the game much more accessible and fun. I wouldn't say more
1: fun because we've never played uh, the One Ring role-playing game. So maybe it's more fun.
0: But, perhaps uh, it is. Perhaps it is. I'll hold my hands up there. Yeah. This is certainly very fun. We can say that. We certainly do enjoy the way that we play. So the embarkation role
1: mm. is a D12. It's a D12. Yeah. So the embarkation role is basically a mechanical way of representing, you know, that first step when you, uh, you're, you're leaving. You know, have you been in a rush and you've kind of forgotten your... Your handkerchief and you had to run back for it. And <laughs> you know, there's all this mess and it's just a bit difficult. Or is it that you've, you know, been well fed in a safe place and there's lots of nice animals and you're food up and honey and you're ready to go off in a nice way. Uh, so the embarkation rules are D12, and there's various events that go from from one to twelve. As usual, one is is generally bad. I don't know if we've ever had a one because. It think quite think hard scores have
0: always, yeah scores have always been so high
1: dark signs and evil portents wow you get one point of shadow as you set out on this journey one point of shadow is quite a lot in this game well we're going to talk about the the shadow rules in the future and they're really interesting and 12 which we've had a lot of uh, auspicious beginnings um you add two to the rules on the journey events table and rules made to determine the initial, initial outcome of these encounters should be made with advantage uh, some of them are really interesting. I've, I can remember some really thematic ones. There was one where you, you were setting out and you'd like not managed to eat much or something and the you, supplies have been bad. And then you rolled a six, meager supplies and poor meals. I was like, oh, that was perfect. I obviously, you, you weren't all happy because it's a, um, a negative modifier on rolls. But
0: <laughs> I mean, I was quite happy because I quite like when things start. Well, up, that's true. How do you, how have you
1: found the embarkation rules as a player?
0: I like it. Like I said, I think a lot of this happens kind of behind the screen for me, um, for a bit of context, although Theodric was the guide on that very first adventure, because narratively it made sense. We were kind of heading back to where he was from, and he was the elder of the party, and he brought the group together. It narratively made sense for him to guide. By and large, the guide is a wanderer the ranger class because mm. their class is very much built around being good on the road.
1: And that's why we've called it into the wild because obviously Aragon leads the hobbits into the wild. So, Exactly.
0: And I think this is a good moment to talk about something, which I was listening to. Well, I suppose a vodcast video from Matt Colville who does running mm. the game series. He himself, a game designer uh, a really interesting series. If you've never seen it, I would suggest checking it out on YouTube, his series Running the Game by Matt Colville. He talked in uh, an episode he did recently about how game design should reward play and vice versa. And I'd never thought about it like this. It was kind of like looking behind the screen, but in design terms. And he made the point that to design a successful game, what you need to do is think about what you want the game to be. And in the case of a Middle Earth game, it's about that sense of Tolkien's journey, traveling in the wild, the dangers of being in the wild and you're resourcefulness. And what Matt Colville talks about then is what you need to do is you need to design rules which reward that style of play, because players will naturally do the things that they get rewards for. So if you, on the simplest terms... Give out experience, say in d and d for looting a dungeon. you encourage people to go and do that, so the game becomes that. I think in this, the game encourages players to make good decisions about journeys, so taking safer routes and letting the experienced ranger guide the party. all of those things give you a bonus, which means we're more likely to roll good events. Mm. And I like that as a player because I think it means that moment where we set out, we really think about, like, oh, who in the party is going to guide us? Is is one of you, uh, do you have known lands here? Is this the safest route? Should we wait until spring rather than trying to go in the winter time? All of these feel like really meaningful decisions, which we get to role play, like exactly like happens in the books. And I think for that reason, the rules are really well written because it encourages you to do the thing that, the setting is
1: i i love the uh the mechanics because yeah it does it leads to interesting decisions i play a lot of board games as well and in board games the thing that i look for and um talking of recommendations shut up and sit down on youtube like i could watch them all day uh board game recommendations and they talk about it when you're playing a a, a game a board game it's all about having interesting decisions and interesting ways to interact with each other and i think that's the same in this is that it, the rules set up interesting decisions yeah. for the players. And as a lore master, I I really enjoy that because I, I don't know like there's been like this journey was quite scripted because it's a pre-written uh, adventure. But a lot uh, of the times, you know, I've 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 run the game quite open, and you maybe know you need to get somewhere. So what was it? You had to get to Dale, and it was like, well, you know, here are the options you can. I think I, I said there was four options and I'd prepped in advance. I knew I had different journey tables, different events set up for them. I knew the distances, apparel the ratings. It was a bit more prep, but it, was, it wasn't it was that much more prep to be ready for that. And it had this really interesting discussion. In the end, you you ended up going in the Grey Mountain Narrows to, to the north of Mirkwood uh, on that occasion. It's always been interesting for me to just sit back and let you discuss. I mean, also, I think when we run our game, There's definitely a mix of in character and out of character discussion. There's a lot of rules. And I think Matt Colville talks about that in one of his things. It's like just being open with the rules and not uh, obscuring what it is that you're asking people to do. Which is, I guess, you know, the journey rules are in the player handbook. So you can just look it up. You know, it's not hidden, it's not a secret.
0: I think it's clear the very fact they're in the player's handbook is a sign of how central to the game they are. Journeys mm. are important. This is how journeys work. And that's how embarkations work. Yeah. So what's the next part of the process?
1: Well, on the first of journey that you took, you had a peril rating of free, which meant that the, I don't know if you, I think you do know this, the DC for the events was 15. You traveled 160 miles, or were meant to, and you rolled a 12 on the embarkation roll.
0: Which is great. That's a good it place well. to start
1: the campaign. Um, So the next thing you do is the the events. First, you have to determine how many events there's going to be. And that's a calculation done based on the severity of terrain and also the the distance that you're traveling. It depends if it's a short, medium or long journey. And you either draw a D2, D2 plus one or D3 plus two for long journeys. And then if it's easy, hard, severe, daunting, you either add or subtract to that role and then what you do is you can either do this with the players in there at that moment and we definitely have done that uh, and if, yep. does that well I don't know what do you prefer do you prefer rolling
0: at the moment or does it not matter or I don't know if I really mind I think you've done a really good job of not making it seem like it's just rolling you narrate the journeys in such a way that the journeys feel quite natural even though I do know that there's a mechanic driving it and that. There are mechanical effects from the decisions we make. It feels like the journey is just unfolding naturally, whether it's a good twist of fate or a, or a bad one. I don't really mind whether they're rolled as we go or whether you've pre-rolled them. To me, to me, that doesn't hugely matter. I know it's a lot of work and bookkeeping for the lore master, so it's really what's easier for you.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I've moved towards just rolling in advance and having it all set up and also I generally will have some scripted events in there as well that I'll, I'll add in. There's a a story beat that I want to tell or part of the narrative that's to come up. Um, Now I think you'll, you'll think of the same example of if I was to ask you which event has happened in all the journeys was most
0: (laughs) memorable for you. I a hundred percent know what it was. It happened reasonably early on. You can maybe tell me how this happened from a rules point of view if I if I maybe explain to the listeners what happened so it was a little further forward in the campaign than we've discussed so far I was playing as Theodric and our friend Stuart was playing Runin the dwarf and the two of us were going to travel up to a settlement in the mountains to ask for aid it wasn't a particularly long journey and it wasn't too dangerous, but we did go through the journey process. Mm-hmm. And something that we rolled, and I cannot remember what it was, this good fortune, meant that we bumped into, on the road, by chance, Gandalf. As players, the way that you told us the story, it wasn't immediately clear. And I was kind of thinking to myself, is it? Is it one of like the big characters that we're going to get to interact with? And it became slowly clear that it was. We had that thing that we discussed in episode one where we as players were super excited because meeting Gandalf is incredibly cool and what a great chance to be able to interact with a character that you know so well. Our characters didn't really have a good sense of who Gandalf was. They'd never encountered him before. I think Theodric had maybe heard of him. There was a very brief interaction. It was great. There was a lovely bit of role play and we kind of went on our separate ways. And that happened organically because that was something that we rolled on a table which i really liked i have no idea what it was that happened behind the screen to mm. bring gandalf mm. to us but I, it was one of my favorite moments which happened purely at random
1: yeah so the journey events tables is really interesting that some of the roles can be either good or bad depending on the embarkation role so i think number 12 is many meetings and you you might either run into a, a very important patron on the side of good or a patron on the side of shadow and the um, that is either determined by embarkation roll or you take a perception check, and uh, yeah, I think I think that was one that we just rolled at the time, and I, yeah. I had to just kind of impromptu be like, oh, who's going to be there? And then I had to f- sort of think through all the characters, and I was like, well, Gandalf, you know, could quite feasibly be traveling down down there, you know, he had, would have had business visiting Radagast, so yeah, it was <laughs> it was all ad lib, and um, it was really like. Quite low key, but it, it, I think because and they say this in the uh, lore master's guide is that you know clearly like say you you're running a game of D and D and you have this character that you fought all for ages as as the dungeon master and you you know like, they're really important to the story they're really interesting uh, you think and then you present <laughs> them to the players and they forget their name and or they call them something silly so James runs a game and. Uh, <laughs> Wasn't my idea, but they like twisted the name of something into Baba Ganoush and it was it was very f- funny, not for James. And <laughs> so so you never know how players are going to react. Um, especially if it's like a homebrew setting. So in like Curse of Strad, like Strad turns up, you know, you kind of know it's going to be important. Uh, and trying to build that sense of awe and like getting the players to interact with the NPC yeah. can be difficult. And what's so nice in this is that all I had to do was be like, it's a guy in a big hat. And I'll be, you know, obviously described it narratively, but you knew who it was. And then the, the excitement was so palpable and that was so memorable for you. In, and it was quite easy. And that, that's, they said in a little, you know, use the big characters sparingly. But when you do bring them in, it'll be really impactful. And it's often better if you can use a major character, use that over... A character you've made yourself. That's not to say that characters that I've introduced or in the um, some of the pre written modules that I've adopted haven't been impactful, but you know, with Gandalf or Saruman or Elrond turn up, and then it's imme- you immediately know it's going to be a big scene.
0: I loved it. I, it was one of my favorite moments, uh, small moments. And I think to answer the question which we asked before about events being purely random or being tailored by the lore master of which I've certainly done both when I've run a game and I know you've done both. This was an example of a random one. And I think the real strength of it was it makes the world feel real. Like we had a random encounter with Gandalf. So rather than the lore master thinking, Oh, he needs to give an important piece of information or, or he needs to affect the plot in some way. As a result of that conversation, he didn't, he would, our paths just crossed and it made the the world feel so much more real because it was like, Oh, there's a story happening here that we're not part of. We've just crossed paths with another narrative. And it's he's off to do something, no doubt important, which will later affect something that happens in the world. I really liked that. It was almost that because it was such a minor interaction with a major character, it embedded you in the world. It really reminded me of, um, I used to play TIE Fighter. I don't know if you ever played TIE Fighter on the computer with a joystick. It was great. Flight simulator game, you played a TIE Fighter pilot wasn't a huge plot to it but there was a kind of an underlying plot to string the missions together it was a really old game i'm feeling my age now as part of it though there was a mission late on where you were escorting some ships between two star destroyers and a voice comes over the radio and one in the ship is darth vader you don't really interact with him at all you you are effectively escorting a vehicle that he's on and its mission only takes about 20 minutes But I, as a kid, was so excited because I was like, oh, I'm part of the the Star Wars story. Like I'm interacting with a character I've seen on the screen. And bumping into Gandalf was like that. It was like, oh, we're part of that world that he's in. And we've seen, him. he's over there.
1: You're part of this world.
0: (laughs) So, yes, it was a good example of a random role. It was played well. It was a really nice memory. And something that I thought was funny was that some other members in the party character-wise, did know about who Gandalf was. And if they had been in the party that was on the road, which was purely chance, the, the competition of it, they would have been much more excited in character than we were. And when we got back to tell them, we were like, oh, we met this guy on the road. His name was Gandalf. And it was Torwald, James's character, who was like, I can't believe I've missed out on this epic moment. Yeah. And it, again, it was nice because it felt like the world was, was quite meaningful. I feel like the, the journey events, reading through them all, uh, again
1: so there's some to do with obstacles you know small things uh enemies but a lot of them are about the environment and it really helps actually to have mechanics around saying um now i'm trying to remember the the first journey so you went through the elf path and I've, i'm sure you found some relic a wonder of 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 ancient past it was some statues in the wood yes and they're set up in a way that you end up having a prompt to describe something and draw people into the world yeah you know they're very evocative the wonders of middle earth you know they may be inspired or a lingering memory of lost times a place touched by shadow it doesn't just have a mechanic for the mechanic's sake it is drawing you into that journey and being like we're not just walking along a road and miles there's there's stuff here but it's abstracted enough out that it doesn't feel like you know every night but the thing i i I find difficult is like every night you're camping and you have to make a perception check it's a bit boring i don't love doing that um i guess passive perceptions are there for that reason but the journey events are really interesting one other thing to say actually about journey events is that there are, um, there's a table in the player's guide, but all the region guides have additional optional tables. And often the pre written adventures will have more journey events in them for each journey, for for each um, mission, quest type thing. I <laughs> uh, wasn't, wasn't deliberately doing that.
0: Um, <laughs> well played.
1: Uh, so there is a lot of them in there. So I often, if I know you're going to be traveling in an area, I'll look through all the different books and find events I like and think in advance, you know, on my, I usually print out the, um, the journey event because it's a lot easier though. My printer doesn't work now, so I can't do that anymore. I've got a journey event printed out here from, I wouldn't spoil the story too far in advance, but We were traveling to some ruins to investigate something and I'd written out the two different routes you could take and the difficulties, um, which I didn't tell you, all the journey events and the page numbers. So I've just written one to 12 and then the page number and which book they're in. And I, I remember that looking back at this page, I, I remember that clearly as a journey that I was like, this is quite a complicated one. I'm going to prep this one. And it went really well. So that's how I'd recommend prepping it is don't just stick to the base ones it depends what books you can access and um how much information you've got i think in the one ring books the uh uh, journey events you could just port them across you know they have to change the mechanics slightly but there's a lot of different options out there or just write your own you know if if you're like well this might happen or might not and you don't want to script that event in i'm trying to think of when we've had scripted events so there was a recent travel and I I wanted them to interact with some um, rangers of Ariadar. So I knew that they would run into them at some point and depending on which route the players took, I was like, well, they'll either meet them here or here. That was fine. But I I knew I wanted that story beat in, but then there was a lot of random events. So there was a, there was a spirit that you you came across, which was, I hope, fairly terrifying, maybe a bit too terrifying for some people.
0: It was too terrifying for some people. Yes. I think, What's interesting there, and this is one of these parts of the game that is always a bit of a tussle, certainly in my mind as a DM, is decisions should have consequences, and that's part of the fun of role-playing games, is that because they're much more open than a video game or a board game, your decisions can be more complicated, and the consequences thereof mm. more impactful because the law master or the dungeon master can can take you in the different direction if you make a very nuanced decision about which direction to go or who to speak to or politics or whatever but sometimes dungeon masters want a certain thing to happen and if you just railroad the players into that happening so regardless of what their decision is this Mm. thing will definitely happen it kind of loses meaning them ever having made a decision even if they don't ever know that they were railroaded into it it does spoil it slightly I like that with the Rangers that we encountered, it depended on the decision that we took. Like, I I don't feel that the game has been spoiled by you telling us that, because I know that we had choices of which direction to go, whether to camp first and then travel or to travel through the night, whether to take a riskier path. And I know that the decisions we made meant we encountered the Rangers at a specific point and that things would have been different. That feels great as a player, because it feels like, oh. We made a choice. It went okay. Maybe that other choice would have been better. Like we we need to keep taking those decisions seriously.
1: Oh, the journey rules are so good. I think it's just really well designed. And there's slight bits in it that aren't, you know, the, the exhaustion mechanics can be really punishing, but it is it is difficult. And yeah, I miss it in, in normal DD. I don't think you could really not normal DD in d You know, I'm not sure you could port it across because it's just such a different game and it's just not about the journey, but it's one of the reasons why it's, it's so good.
0: Well, it's so kind of the been... heart of the books.
1: Yes, it's a big part of the books. So you've done your journey events um, and you reach your destination where that may be. So uh, in our game, now I'm, I am think deliberately not speaking too much to that first adventure because it's in the book and yes it's a pre-written one i don't, don't really want to, to spoil it for people that haven't played it and it's one that you know i i can't speak for everybody's experience but essentially i ran that one and there was one other pre-written that i've run and then everything else was adapted i used a lot of the places and the characters but I often just you know because i didn't feel like it fit that well it was a very um sandboxy type game so the decisions you made influence the next step um so once you've done all the uh, event tables and then you're going to go into the arrival phase
0: and this is kind of the mirror image of the embarkation role isn't yes. it really it's 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 a dice roll that draws together some of what's happened to give us the conclusion to the hmm. adventure
1: the difference here is you don't get a modifier from your player character, from your guide or anybody uh, the things that, so it's a D8, the arrival rule. And the things that modify it is that if it's an easy terrain, you get a plus, And if it's a more difficult terrain, then you get minus. Uh, so minus one for hard, severe, and minus two for daunting. And uh, some of the journey events give you either a plus or a minus to the arrival rule, which is nice as well. So say something terrible happens on the journey, or you like run out of food, or there's some enemy then you're going to arrive in worse spirits or say you run into gandalf maybe at the end <laughs> of the journey you'll be in, in brighter spirits and the arrival role can have a lot of effects it can give you shadow points it can give you a point of exhaustion and as we were talking about the other day even taking a long rest only removes one point of exhaustion so it's quite hard to get rid of you can have disadvantage on audience checks and we're going to talk about audience checks in the
0: next next episode,
1: episode uh, because that's another big part of the mechanics so th- there's lots of potential negative or you might have something like you can remove a point of exhaustion uh, grimly determined you can get plus one in your next embarkation role you get bonuses in audience or you may be inspired and you lose shadow points gain inspiration and inspiration in this is it's in basically you can have advantage in any role at any time um if you wish and it's, it comes up in this a lot a lot of mechanics give you inspiration it's used a lot more than um certainly i use it in and i don't
0: know yes and there are some rules for specific classes which actually let you spend inspiration to give you a mechanical effect that's not just advantage so it's kind of a currency in this game that's used yeah. more than
1: i think there's a there's a good discussion on inspiration because i find it really difficult because it's kind of arbitrary when you when you give it and I, as a player, sometimes been like, ooh, I did they get inspiration. You know? <laughs>
0: uh, so, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, it's kind of like,
1: oh, you know, I did some really good role play. Do I not, you know, it, it, it creates difficulty. Yeah, that's that's the journey role. So you've got your journey roles, you've got your embarkation role, journey DC and the guide bonus, journey events and tables for that and how you prepare for that. And then you've got your uh, arrival rule at the end. And there's, there's some extra optional rules, which I really like. So um, the hex grid is 10 miles across. So you can you can look at the time that's going to take. Um, and there's some rules about, you know, how roads affect that, how traveling on water or having riding horses affects it. Uh, so it gives you a sort of travel speed, which is um, quite useful. And we actually do end up, I think, because people are quite interested in the details of things, particularly if there's a time pressure to a mission, we have ended up having quite in-depth discussions about uh, travel time and movement speeds and boats and (laughs) it's more fun than it sounds, I think, because it's so, it's so important to the story.
0: Yeah. I love it. And I actually think it's really, again, in keeping with the setting and to go back to what you were saying about the arrival role being affected, for instance, based on the terrain. I think that's a great example of rewarding good play so mm. you get a you get a bonus if you take easy terrain so actually us deciding hey do we walk through this valley or do we try and climb over that mountain as a shortcut well we could but it will be much harder on the other side mechanically this isn't just a oh, we can fast forward through this section by doing something that you realistically wouldn't do but we're just in a game so you know if you're playing you're playing skyrim or whatever and you want to just get somewhere quickly and you're like i'm just going to climb up this cliff it yes. doesn't, really, doesn't really stop you from doing that in Skyrim. <laughs> that's such a good example. <laughs> but in this, that has a very meaningful effect. You're going to rock up at you know, Bjorn's house or something, and your arrival role is going to be worse. Everything is going to be worse because you made terrible decisions. It encourages you to take ponies, to take the easier terrain, to take a safer route, to travel in good weather. I really like that.
1: Mm. Is there anything else that we need to say about journeys?
0: I don't think so. I think mechanically we've covered the experience of what it's like as a player and also mechanically the kinds of things that you need to do as the lawmaster to prepare. Uh, it seems like it's quite an open experience as a lawmaster, that there are different ways you can do it. You can play it very by the book. You can be a bit more creative. You can be a bit more relaxed. Each to their own.
1: Well, the journey that we that you took, the first journey... Uh, led the the four heroes Theodric, Carhu, Runan, and Tarwald into the Anden Vale, into the was it Woodasell? Yes, uh, one of the settlements of the Woodmen, and there, one of the events had gone very well, and you'd you'd recovered an artifact, and that meant that people were named, uh were very well received, and it set up actually. What I didn't really expect but ended up being the setting for a lot of the game was the Anduin Vale. Yeah. Um, and as we go along, we'll, we'll elaborate on some of the people that you met there. Maybe we'll talk about NPCs. But next time, we're going to talk about audience rules, which is often what happens at the end of a journey. And I think we did have an audience when you arrived in Wudusel.
0: We did indeed. And um, I think it's a good opportunity to explore how that works.
1: Well, that's us taking you on a journey through... The journey rules. No emails except on party business. And comments, suggestions and questions to the fellowship phase at gmail.com. The long year turns to its close. Much we have accomplished these last seasons. Our fellowship disbands, but is not broken. And we will return.
0: On the next episode of The Fellowship Phase.